0: You are listening to Shelf Logic, the official podcast for the Maricopa County Library District. Today's episode will be a discussion on some popular titles of classic literature that you can find on our digital and physical shelves.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, the Maricopa County Library podcast. Uh, my name is Nicholas. My name is Travis. And we're going to be talking about classic books today. Um, so we each got a couple, so we'll go ahead and dive right into it. The first classic I picked is about twelve hundred pages, uh and it's actually it's The Count of Monte Cristo, uh by Alexandre Dumas. Dumas? I think it's Dumas. It's Dumas. Yeah. I, I, I didn't take French, <laughs> so I know. Um but I mean it's it's a pretty basic story, you know, it's it's got you know it's someone's wrongfully imprisoned, and then they have to break out, they find a treasure, and then they go on a quest to revenge themselves against the people who wrongfully imprison them. Um, so much so that actually, for a long time, it was kind of regarded as like a children's book, which is insane because it's huge. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But it's it's very interesting. It, it takes a lot of the parts of I get I guess early modern Europe and kind of synthesizes it. It's early modern Europe, the novel basically. <laughs> um, so, for example, like you know, big thing was travel to Italy, the the cruelty of the papal states, ancient Rome. All that's in this giant book. So if, if something was part of the culture in early modern Europe, it is in Count of Monte Cristo. Um, one interesting thing, too, uh, to note is actually that Alexander Dumas was kind of disparaged for a while, a long time, because he was one of the only writers that we think of as a classic writer, air quotes now, that would was very well known to write for money. Uh, which, you know, especially back then, was not a thing you were supposed to do. You were supposed to It was supposed to be about the arts and and your soul, and that got poured into it. Uh, But, for example, in less than a decade, Alexander Dumas wrote... uh, What did did it say in the introduction? It is an insane amount of things. Uh, He wrote 41 novels, 23 plays, 7 historical works, and half a dozen travel books. Uh, There was a pamphlet that made fun of him that said, Alexander Dumas and Company, novel factory. (laughs) So...
0: Classic burn. If, if you
1: right, if you ever hear someone joking about like, you know, if you ever hear someone say, I just, you know, new Alexander Dumas writing was discovered, most classicists are going to be like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> he wrote for newspaper. He would write for anything. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he didn't write good books. Um, you know, books with, with good heroes, good villains, um, you know, great themes, three musketeers. That's also a great book. Um, one of the few adventure books, you know, "quote unquote" adventure books that, that tends to hold up too.
0: That would actually be a very interesting podcast. We have to remember this classic works that were made for money, right? Like,
1: I I don't know. I mean, we can't. We could just re- retitle it "Alexander Dumas <laughs> <to the> Podcast."
0: <laughs> Novel Factory, <laughs> right? Because man, was, he wrote a lot of them. Uh, was Dickens like that? Did he write? Because he wrote by the word, I right? You.
1: Yeah, actually, that was not uncommon. So if yeah. back in the day, um, the, a lot of the novels we think of as serialized or as as novels today, like let's say Uncle Tom's Cabin, yeah. those were all actually serialized in newspapers. Um, and you'll see people that say, you know, you'll, you'll see these mentions of these books that, like, the Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire by Ed, or the Fall, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbon. It's like four volumes it's huge <laughs> and they did that because they actually did get paid by the word interesting so we, we like to you know kind of make fun of like James Patterson today because he just cranks out novels like crazy but they would actually back then they would actually serialize in papers right by the word and then later once all these people were familiar with the story once they'd gotten paid for it the first time it would be bound up in novel form so people could buy it again.
0: Double dip.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so, so the publishing industry is not a new phenomenon.
0: <laughs> so um, basically, James Patterson is the modern day Alexander, Alexander DeMauro, De Mar- <laughs> if you take nothing from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: know that, know that in, in 200 years, people will be reading Criss Cross by James Patterson and being like, bravo, this is classic literature right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Right? <laughs> I mean, because really, like, the whole idea of classic literature, this is like a slight tangent, but... I feel like it has to be time mm-hmm. you know like what almost what makes something classic I don't know
1: because I, I mean at this point you know we 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 here at the Maricopa Library County Libraries we consider Faulkner's classic right. you know we consider uh, um, Tolkien Tolkien yeah Tolkien uh, he was still alive up until like what 40 years ago yeah, 50 years ago right. so I mean he knew what an airplane was like that right I mean come on right um, so yeah that's classic um so I think time in influence even, is a good one. I think influence is part of it. Yeah. Um, but it's just that that quality. Yeah. You know, I truthfully, I mean, there's that. That's always a debate: what's a classic, what's not. There's You're right. There's something I should I think should be a classic that's not over there. But you know, whatever I will right. argue with
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've just brought up this author. So I would say there are three specific books by William Faulkner that I love: uh, "The Sound and the Fury." Uh, light in August and As I Lay Dying. Um, I would specifically recommend, especially if you're kind of new to Faulkner, and I've only, I've read maybe five or six of his books. There's a book called Absalom, Absalom, mm. which, I, okay, I've read that book. I have no idea. It's the most stream of conscious. Basically a like, James Joyce book. <laughs> basically, 100%. And I'm... It, Light in August is somewhat like that. You really delve into the psyche of these characters. And, like, at the, especially at the very end, there's a character named, I believe, Hightower? He's a sure. reverend. Oh, uh, that's right. And he... Um, so, basically, he starts, like, reminiscing about his past. It's like a 30, 40-page, like... You're, like, inside of his head, and, like, you don't know exactly what's happening, <laughs> what's real, what this dude is talking about. Like, it's, like... Present is mixed with past, is mixed with future, is mixed with his fears, like all of this shenanigans. Um, So I will say, if you want something a bit more focused uh, and plot-driven, I would say As I Lay Dying. It's also one of his shortest books. Um, Basically, it's a story of a family who each character is kind of told uh, by—or each chapter, excuse me, is told by a different character and, um, which is kind of, I don't know if I'm sure somebody did that before, but that's a pretty fascinating thing. I'm sitting here thinking about it. Yeah. Like having like in mean, game of Thrones totally used that. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. There are a lot of interesting character development. You really get inside of like what these characters are like because it's told from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that that is the book. The first time I read it, I understood it or so I thought. And then I read it like two or three other times, and I had an awesome professor named—shout out, Dr. Jean Cash. <laughs> oh, she's gonna listen to this podcast. Right. Like oh, yeah. that's me. Now you'll just have to send it. <laughs> I will, right? Um, and there's like so much. Like Faulkner, I think, is a genius, and. Having these little, small, almost throwaway things, but there's nothing that's throw like every single thing in his novel. So it's like
1: Chekhov's gone. If a, 100%. If a gun. One hundred fires in the first act; it's important in the third. It's act. It's important, <laughs>
0: exactly. It, it, he's a master and genius at that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for some classic Faulkner, as I lay dying, that's where I would start, and then after that, I would go to uh, Light in August, and then jump into the. Into the deep end with the sound and the fury. And then jump into the deeper end with Absalom. Absalom, Absalom. And then, um, you know, go. you probably have to go cry in a corner for a little bit after
1: all we Weirdly speaking, of classics with the same thing, with titles that are also Bible verses, because that's a thing now. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a 1950s book by, I think it's Pat Frank, called Alas, Babylon. Oh. Uh, and it basically is... Um, it's about a nuclear war, kind of like back right when when nuclear weapons were kind of a new thing. Um, it basically chronicles this um, this this man. His brother works in, I think, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, and and they had a, a kind of a prearranged signal that if if nuclear war was ever imminent, this brother would would telegram his his uh, his his brother, you know, alas, Babylon. So that basically means he knows to get out of Jodge, find a safe place, and it kind of fall. He he ends up going to this small Florida town, and it it essentially just follows their their town as they attempt to survive the nuclear apocalypse. Um, But it's 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 a good book. Interesting, yeah. It's interesting, interesting, yeah. Uh, Not the book I was going to talk about, actually. (laughs) Um, Next book I was going to talk about, actually speaking of kind of the debate about age, age, and and the factors of classics is. uh, it's a book from Africa. Actually, it's called uh, "Things Fall Apart" by uh, Chinua Akebe. Um, so it basically follows this. Uh, it's the first book, actually, in a trilogy, but each trilo- each book is kind of a standalone. Uh, it follows this uh, African warrior. His name is Okonkwo, which I, I love that name. Um, so basically, he's this. He's the big man. He's the you know this very well respected um, kind of tribal leader for uh, for the Igbo. Uh, people and he ends up you know he's the best wrestler he can wrestle anyone in all all the villages surrounding him he has the most cattle he has the most wives um but his world is kind of overthrown when these British missionaries and and colonialists come in so he essentially tries to hold on to his way of life um but then you know it gets stripped away from him little by little Um, but it's 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 kind of a fascinating book on 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 you you know someone trying to resist those those Im, those forces of history type thing and and uh, it's it's a it's a it's a good book um, the the other books of the trilogy are kind of exploring as well um, uh, I believe the author is from uh, Nigeria um, so so he basically is trying to to kind of reconcile the Uh, you know all of his 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 uh the the books in the africa trilogy are essentially trying to deal with characters that are reconciling their african past and their their kind of british western influenced present um i think one of them is one of them takes place in like the 60s and i think the other one takes place in the early 1900s maybe uh but they're 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 all very interesting books he also wrote one called um a man of the people and it was actually about a uh a political coup and it was published just before an actual coup take, took place oh so, interesting yeah fascinating book um yeah definitely and it's it's not a long book
0: either. yeah that's one of the books like i remember reading in high school yeah. that i actually liked yeah, like most i feel like most books i read in high school is like Ugh, yeah this is terrible but this book was fascinating Yeah, a lot of really cool cultural stuff in there especially
1: i think because as you know we tend to think of classics as european or american right. um, We don't, you know, the 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 classic canon is not as as inclusive as it as it probably should be, and I think that's that's one nice thing about uh, things fall apart is it kind of brings a little bit more more like balance to that. So for like for example, even uh, the Good Earth by Pearl S. Buck. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's written about China, but it's not written from you know, someone from China did not write that book. I mean, given she she did spend years in China, but it's it's kind of it's different. Yeah. Um so definitely check out Things Fall Apart. Uh, if you like it, check out uh, some more of his work too. He's he's yeah, got good stuff
0: for sure. I think that's one of the like the criticisms of in air quotes classic literature yeah. is that it's not very diverse. It's not. It's,
1: and, and I mean, you know, so much of it like is, you know, 1800s. Right. You know, European, American, um, you know, it, it definitely does not provide a diverse experience when yeah. you're
0: reading. It. I think it's changing. It seems to be a yeah, little bit, which like, is
1: which is good. Yeah, for
0: sure. Um, so speaking of kind of seminal um, works, this is basically the creator. I'm going in, going in deep. Uh, creator of modern fantasy. Just, okay. I'm going for Tolkien. Okay. I have to do it. He's in our classic section. Uh, we did a, a discussion on fantasy books. I can't remember if I did. Or somebody had to do Lord of the Rings on Fantasy Plays. I don't think we did. Oh, dude, perfect. Um, Maybe it was was just too easy a target. (laughs) Right? It's like Tolkien is essentially created with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, I guess, to a lesser degree. Mm -hmm. Because I think he wrote The Hobbit first, and then he changed some things to fit in the Lord of the Rings. I think so, yeah. Like to make it more like cogent, I guess. Uh, But yeah, so Lord of the Rings. Basically, Tolkien invented epic. Fantasy with these works
1: every stereotype about Elzendor is Tolkien
0: 100% he created uh, languages (laughs) like multiple languages uh, for this there's thousands and thousands uh, of years of back history that he wrote for this Mm -hmm. like Tolkien wanted to create like a modern fairy tale for England Mm because he didn't think that they had like something specifically English and so that's what the Lord of the Rings is Um, I've probably read The Lord of the Rings like four or five times. Um, I haven't read them in like a decade, though. So I'm wondering how they are now. I'm obsessed with the films. Dare I say this on a library podcast? I will. Do you like the movies
1: better? I like the movies better than the books. Yeah.
0: I love the movies.
1: Actually, fun fact, the book... Uh, because it was a book was originally just written as one book. It was later split yeah. up by publishers. But, <laughs> yeah, right. but yeah, Lord of the Rings is just one book. Right. I think that's I how he wanted it written it is. too. Yeah that's, right? how, yeah, that's how it was written. Yeah. But then I think it was the publishers took one look at it and they're like, That is an enormous book. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's gonna be hard to manufacture. Yeah, that. that's, that's gonna be hard. to sell. sell. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually not that long comparatively, like with other epics. Like, I think it's shorter than The Count of Monte Cristo. I think it's like a thousand pages, of Lord of the Rings or something. I mean, at that point, you might as well just go for the extra 200. <laughs> You're right, It's to that total epic fantasy. Right. Uh, but if you don't know the story, basically, there's a huge war between good and evil. Um, there's wizards, elves, dwarves, hobbits. Uh, All of these things have pretty much entered the cultural lexicon by now that you probably already know about it. But if you haven't read the books before or only see the movies, as a historical document and also as uh, a historical cultural document, and also as they're entertaining and they're a lot of fun and they have a lot of really interesting things. They're a lot. They are. I, I've never been more. able
1: to read them. They're just too
0: descriptive. For me. They and they have like he'll stop and then he'll die. Like there'll be like a song. Yeah. And it's like five pages of this yeah. song. I uh, will be honest. I skipped a lot of that stuff. And there's. Inc- I've never read at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring or the very beginning of the Lord of the Rings, the first book. Um, there is a. Like a not an appendix, what's at the front? What is that called? A preface, maybe a preface, yeah. That talks about like hobbits and all this history. Never read that in my life, yeah. Uh, that's like 50 pages or something, 20 pages of that type of stuff. Because the modern adage is show, don't tell. It was apparently lost <laughs> on Toby's. I'm gonna tell you everything, <laughs> very literal, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely check those out. A fun read, um, yeah, classic, okay. Um Actually,
1: probably my last book. Speaking, if if you're going to go with modern Foundation of Modern Fantasy, <laughs> I'm going to do you one better and go with the Foundation of the Modern Novel.
0: It's the first, go one now. Nice. So, uh,
1: Don Quixote uh, by D- Miguel de Cervantes. Um, if you know anything about Don Quixote, you probably know the tilting at windmills when Don Quixote and his faithful squire Sancho Panza uh, try to attack windmills because Don Quixote thinks he they're giants. Um, see and it's it's so a little bit of background on Don Quixote it's actually regarded as the first modern novel in all of history um technically it's been written in two parts uh the first part was actually written as a essentially was a parody of these like chivalric romances that were common at the time um you know all of these these tales of of knights and ladies and, and, and all of those kind of classical knight stuff. Don Quixote is basically just like a parody of them. Um, the book essentially starts with Don Quixote, uh, is it Don Quixote de la Mancha? Um, basically he's, he reads so many knightly romances. He just goes insane. Mm-hmm. Like he, his mind just breaks, it snaps. So he goes around and he gets like this moldy suit of armor, this just awful, awful suit of armor. Um, you know, this worn down, sorry horse. Um, and he's basically just like, you know, going and trying to right various, you know, air quote, quote unquote wrongs that he sees. Um, and everybody basically is just like, who is this guy? <laughs> uh, people sometimes humor him. Like he, he, he ends up with these, uh, disreputable ladies outside of a, uh, outside of a, of a pub, um, but he in his adult state of mind essentially thinks they're princesses, so they're kind of looking at him like, Why are you treating us like this? Um, but at the end of the book, uh, it's, it's, the, the book is essentially just a compilation of Don Quixote getting himself into like ridiculous situations and doing what he thinks the knightly thing would do, and it never works. Um, so he ends up at the end of the first book essentially. Coming back home, I think he got knocked on the head or something. He'd be like, well, that was weird. I'm never reading any knightly romances again. <laughs> Puts up all his stuff. End of the book. It's a... <laughs> Pretty much, but interesting. There was also a shorter second part that was written years after the first part was published because copyright back in 16th century Spain didn't exist. So there was one specific person that uh, Cervantes found was essentially like using Don Quixote in his work. But badly. So Donkey Qu- so, so the author, you know, Cervantes basically wrote the second part of Don Quixote as a as kind of a, a slam against this guy for using his, his character. I, I, if I recall correctly, it's been so long since I've read this. Real Don Quixote comes across like fake Don Quixote, and you know, t- shenanigans ensue. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's it's basically it's a parody of this other guy's book. That it, it's amazing. That's fascinating. Right? Um, so that's uh, it's the first, you know, kind of modern novel with the first modern author dispute in there, too. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a really fun read. I would definitely recommend the translation by Edith Grossman. It just came out uh, a couple of years ago, I would say. Uh, by a couple, I mean 17 years ago. So I was close. Um, but it's, it's a very funny, uh, funny book that you wouldn't think of a 16th century Spanish novel as being funny. But it's it's pretty good.
0: Interesting. I, I've never read that. I like to. I also love that there's a literary throwdown and like the yeah, first.
1: Because right? <laughs> I remember I read about this that. Note. I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that that is absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, and he's, the the book also has notes in it too because obviously this. This, uh, you know, Cervantes is writing for a a 16th century audience, so he's kind of got these cultural asides that, like, we would have no idea what they mean. Uh, But the author very helpfully provides footnotes where they're relevant. Um, So that would be, um, you know, any sort of like, they they mention, um, I think it's, gosh, what's one of the names? It's, um, oh, and it's got fun chapter titles. So, like, chapter 21, which deals with many great things. Uh, chapter 19 regarding the famous adventure of the en- enchanted boat um let's see in which the adventure of knight of the wood continues so yeah super fun uh which recounts how so many adventures rained down on Don Quixote that there was hardly room for all of them <laughs> that's a which great recounts an ex- re- my favorite is uh which recounts an extraordinary incident that befell Don Quixote and can be considered an adventure <laughs> So, yeah, there's they're, uh, they're some pretty fun chapter. T- Ooh. Um, regarding the decision Don Quixote made to become a shepherd and lead a pastoral life until the year of his promise had passed, along with other incidents that are truly pleasurable and entertaining. <laughs> Ooh, regarding the porcine adventure that befell Don Quixote. And notice... It's always befell him. He didn't find these
0: adventures; the <laughs> adventures found him. <laughs> he like stumbled. Actually, that makes me want to read this book. Now. Right? Does <laughs> like, you sold it perfectly?
1: <laughs> Which deals with matters related to history and to no other. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! So yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun, somehow humorous book that's 500 years old.
0: That's awesome, dude. Huh? Okay, Don to go Okay, so. Uh, did talk about this uh, author in the last podcast, and I'm going in again. Or maybe not the last, depending. Oh, on... Oh, very true. Actually, more air. like it could be like 18 to go. Just yeah. for, just ignore this. This is stricken from in the in record. A <laughs> yeah, in a previous podcast. In a previous podcast. I'm not gonna have a specific work by this author, um, but I would just grab all of his short stories. We have the in the um, in our classic section. Or just in the library in general, we have a collected short stories of one Edgar Allan Poe.
1: Yeah,
0: yes, I'm um, sure all
1: his friends did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Poe, 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 Poe. Um, <laughs> man, what? Basically, I would say almost like the beginning of horror fiction. Yeah. Um, totally. Like Poe is really interesting, I think, because he kind of viewed um. He viewed music as, like, the ultimate art form and because it's so immediate. And, like, you can do so many things with music that you can't with books. So he thought that his poetry was actually kind of better slash more artistic than his short stories. So that's kind
1: of like the Shakespeare was the first rapper type
0: thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like a lot of Poe's poetry. Um, Obviously, The Raven is a total classic. Um, It's almost like too perfect. I had a professor one time who was like, this is like the most perfect poem. It's almost too perfect. And that's what makes it not a classic, which I thought was fascinating. But yeah, Poe's short fiction is, uh, and he did write one novel or almost a novel. I want to say it's Arthur. Uh, I'll look that up while we're talking. But um, He wrote a play. Uh, what's the name of the play? Uh, Polician. Oh. He did. He did write
1: a novel. Uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. Nantucket.
0: Dude, you know what I thought? Because I, I thought like Arthur Pym, but I was like, isn't that Ant Man? <laughs> <laughs> like? I think that's <laughs> Hank Pym. Hank Pym. Okay. <laughs> That's actually funny. That's probably where they got that from.
1: Ah, connections,
0: connections.
1: He so was apparently the first uh, American author to live, earn a living solely writing.
0: Who, Poe was? Yes. Ah, which is a huge interesting. He
1: died at 40.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> Didn't go great. Um, yeah, his short fiction is tremendous. I'm sure most people know The Pit in the Pendulum, The Telltale Hard, uh, Fall of the House uh, of Usher. Fall of the House of Usher, which. Um, the very first paragraph of that story, or the first sentence even, it's like the most scene-setting sentence slash paragraph I've ever seen in my life. It has so many descriptive words for, like, doom and gloom and terror and horror. Uh, it's just kind of a masterpiece of... Let's
1: find out what <laughs> yeah, it is. Are we going
0: to read it.
1: All right. All right. We got this. During the whole of a dull dark and soundless day in the autumn of the year, (laughs) when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country, and at length found myself, as the shades of the evening drew on, within the view of the melancholy house of Usher. Yeah, that's a lot of words for this. Is a bummer. Right, this is a total
0: bummer. <laughs> right.
1: Don't don't go to don't go to that
0: house of usher, man. Also, do my one of my the fa- my favorite ending lines of anything ever is the mask of the red death. Okay. And darkness and decay and the red death held illimitable dominion over all. That's pretty insane. I mean, I I like the the
1: end of. Uh, <laughs> of the fall of the House of Usher, too. Uh, While I gazed, this fissure rapidly widened. There came a fierce breath of the whirlwind. The entire orb of the satellite burst at once upon my sight. My brain reeled... There's so many ellipses. My brain reeled as I saw the mighty walls rushing asunder. There was a long, tumultuous shouting sound like the voice of a thousand waters, and the deep and dank tarn at my feet closed sullenly and silently over the fragments of the, and this is all in caps... House of Usher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Vincent Price, I think, right? read that last <laughs> line. Vincent <laughs> uh, Price read that whole thing. So Poe, a very happy dude. Um, you could consider him comedy. Uh, you totally could not consider right. him comedy. At <laughs> I was, I was uh, like... Not, it's not <laughs> that's at all. Uh, but yeah, if you have not read his stuff or you haven't read it in a very long time, I think looking, reading it again now, it's so fresh. Like... It's amazing that he was writing in, what, the 1800s? 18, early 1800s. Early, yeah. He died in
1: 49.
0: And uh, his stuff is still so, like, it seems modern to me. I mean, yeah. it's horrifying. It's extremely well-written. Interesting stories. It's, so many horror tropes have been stolen from Poe yeah. that he created. Yeah. Um, definitely check those out on the classics.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, thanks for tuning in. All of these uh, items can be found in the Maricopa County Library District. You can go to our website at www.mcldaz.org. Uh, one thing to note with these classics, a lot of them are actually available in the public domain. Uh, so, for example, I believe most of Edgar Allan Poe's stuff. Yeah. Uh, Um, Anything that's not in English, um, like Count of Monte Cristo or Don Quixote, some of the older translations are likely available in the public domain. Usually those are from the 1800s or so, uh, but the newer ones are not. Uh, You can find those at our website or at your other local libraries.
0: Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ. Remember to stay tuned. Next week we will be celebrating our library con event as we listen to Corbin and Alyssa as they discuss many of the best comics and graphic novels. And they are all available for request and checkout.